About 15 minutes ago, I was sitting out on the back porch of my roommate, Daryl. He's a little black cat that showed up a couple years ago. Seemed like a good hang, so we took him in. Daryl and I were sitting out there having coffee, watching birds at the feeder. It was 59 degrees. These Nashville summers can be pretty brutal, so any time we get a cooler morning like this, you just got to go outside and take advantage of it. It was nice and quiet on Mount Renraw. You know, the birds weren't even making that much noise. I drank about as much coffee as I could possibly stand, trying to get a little bit energized to do all the things I have to do in the day. And the first thing I have to do is come up here and talk to you guys. Now I'm sitting in the living room. I have my cat, Baby or Babs as I like to call her, on one side of me. Frankie is on the other side, and I can see Malcolm over in the window. And Russell is upstairs with Amy. I never thought I'd be a guy with four cats and a dog, but here I am. And they're all giving me that look that I need to wrap this up before I start boring you guys. Hi friends, this is Otis Gibbs and you're listening to Thanks for Giving a Damn. I'm sitting here in my living room in East Nashville. This is a personal journal. This is a bit of an experiment. I like to say right up front that I haven't the slightest idea what I'm doing, but I decided to do it anyway. And this show was founded with the idea that there are only two people in art that matter. There's the creative individual and the person experiencing it. And everything else is an artificial filter. This is a way for me to share things with you guys without any filters whatsoever. My guest this week is David Greer. David is a guitar player, he's a singer, and a songwriter, and you can find out everything you need to know about David at davidgreer.com. I play poker about once a week with uh, some old session guys, some old pickers, and I'll talk about that maybe more in the future. But I met David at these poker games, and over the months I got to know him a little bit. He's a really good guy, a really good poker player, but David's actually a fabulous guitar player, a fabulous flat picker. He's the three-time IBMA Guitar Player of the Year. I urge you to look up the videos on YouTube. Watching and hearing him play is quite the thing to behold. Guitar players all around Nashville are in awe of him. People that I think are absolutely fabulous hold him in very high esteem. But there's a photograph floating around that I saw of David as a very young man walking around a bluegrass festival in Maryland. And he's walking around with Clarence White, a great guitar player. And I asked him about it. It turns out he was friends with Clarence when he was a kid and his father was friends with Clarence and they spent a lot of time around each other. I asked David if he would share some of those stories with us and he was nice enough to do it. So he came over here to my living room and and I had a big kick out of it. We talked for about two hours after the recording was done. So if you're like me and you're a big birds fan, a big bluegrass fan, this one's for you. Here's David Greer.
Well, for Dad, there were three people in my household that were like gods. There was Bill Monroe, there was Earl Scruggs, and there was Clarence White. There was the three of them. So Dad had live tapes of all of those guys and records of all those guys. And so I heard it all the time. I was always hearing these live recordings of the Kentucky Colonels, which was Roland and Clarence White, among others. And because Dad revered them so much, he talked about them, you know, a lot. And uh, that's where I first got to know of Clarence. And so when I began playing guitar, I ended up trying to copy some of the things he did because I thought they were cool myself. So it was like osmosis. It was just in the background of my life and was pointed out because Dad would point things out. Dad has a reel-to-reel tape. All these live shows are on reel-to-reel tapes that he, he made. There's one he was playing one time when I was maybe a teenager. It's him playing with Roland and Clarence. And there's this little baby screaming. Gee, Dad, who's that? That's you. <laughs> it's like, oh, well, sorry. <laughs> Didn't know. I was a little baby. but And there's a picture, a famous picture Famous to me, anyway. Ha. It's an amazing picture. Of Clarence walking with a his guitar, which is a Mark White book guitar, which is a handmade guitar back in the 70s, early 70s. 73 is when this picture was. Anyway, and a Paps Blue Ribbon beer in his hand. Now, my father's standing behind them. I'm standing next to him, and there's this guy passed out, laying up against a tree. And we're walking from up to where the cars were, down to where the stage was because Clarence was getting ready to play shortly. And he's making his way to the stage. And, of course, I'm following him around and Dad's following him. I'm following Dad and Clarence and Dad's following Clarence. So um, that's when I first met him. What and festival was this? It was called the Indian Springs Bluegrass Festival. It was in a place called Indian Springs, Maryland, which is western Maryland. And I've been there a couple times since driving by. It's like... I bet I can find this place. And I found it. It's at a, Now it's a KOA campground. In the photo, there's the guy passed out, I guess, drunk right there. Yeah, that's my guess, too. Bluegrass festivals back then, I guess, maybe a little bit of pot and a lot of alcohol. Everybody had a beer, seemed like, you know, and some folks had more than one. <laughs> and this guy might have been one of those. He looks like he had a little <laughs> cooler next to him. Might have been filled up with Kool-Aid and, and uh, grain alcohol, for all I know. Who knows? There's no. It might have been filled with water. <laughs> Maybe he was just sleeping. But, you know, it's a cool picture. And this Japanese feller took another picture at that same festival when Roland and Clarence and the Kentucky Colonels were on stage. And I'm, I remember, and I didn't think I'd ever see this, but... I have it. He sent me a picture where I'm sitting on the side of the stage right behind Clarence off to the side. It's so cool. It's like, oh, man, I remember that. And there it is. Yeah, so I have two pictures from that festival. That was 73. He had two there for a while. He had an old D28 and he had a D18. Now, the 28... Tony Rice now owns. So that's the guitar Tony plays. And Clarence was his big idol because Clarence was a little older than Tony. So Tony was a wee little kid and 
Clarence was a teenager, maybe. So Clarence was more proficient. And Tony was still playing guitar, but learning as a child. And so he looked up to Clarence, and everybody in California knew Clarence was like the guy, even as a teenager. So Tony hunted that guitar down and found it and bought it. Clarence traded it to some guy at a liquor store, owner, liquor store owner. I guess he needed cash, and the guy gave him 500 and Clarence gave him the guitar as collateral. And then when Clarence got money, the guy wouldn't give him his guitar back. So Tony found out the guy's name and just started calling people in the phone book, and he found the guy. And he took tons of money, thousands and thousands of dollars. And the guy said, I'll take, you know, X amount, 1500 or whatever. I don't know. He said, yeah, let me go to the bank. And he went around the corner and only took that much out of his pocket, you know, so he had whipped out, you know, and gave it to the guy and got the guitar and had work done to it and all that. But the D18 he had that Clarence had got stolen. And I don't think anyone knows where that guitar is. No one knows where that guitar is. He used the D18 for leads and the D28 mostly for rhythm is how he liked them. Are most of the recordings of him using those guitars? Those two, yeah. And then the last recording, the uh, Live in Sweden that came out, that's killer because he's older and he's it's more, well, it's just better. He's older. All the, all the ideas are more solidified in his mind and they come out so cool syncopations like crazy when he's singing so good anyway that was the mark white book guitar so clarence there was this big thing in annapolis maryland where emmy lou and graham parsons and the birds and different folks country gazette was there it was a festival all these guys had records coming out on warner brothers and it was like a package deal and they played two gigs they played one in annapolis and one in philadelphia and I went to both those. Dad went, and so I went. And so they were staying in Annapolis, which for us was a half hour from the house. So we went to the hotel. We're hanging out. And I sat. Clarence and Tony Rice were jamming in a hotel room that had two beds. And I'm sitting in the middle of them on the floor like a tennis match, just head moving back and forth because i've been playing let's see if i'm almost 12 i'd have been playing six or seven years by then so i knew a g chord <laughs> you know and here's these guys i've heard on record and golly who's this guy tony rice golly and i knew of clarence and and i'd know i knew roland because every time roland came up the east coast he'd stop at the house and call and we would pick he would pick yeah it was way cool that's the show where Clarence or Graham told Clarence to turn down. If I'm if I'm remembering correctly, Clarence was in a rocking chair or something. Something there was a big argument because he did it on stage, and it's like, hey man, I've been a country music star way longer than you've been breathing. So, <laughs> I mean, I don't remember the exact words, but that was the gist of it. Well, Roland was friends of my dad, and dad was at work. This is during the day. So he'd just come over if he had time off, you know, on the road. It sounds like pick. really nice people. Yeah, yeah. They were to me. Clarence was real nice. I was in that same hotel room. Roland was picking, and 
I didn't have my guitar. I said, you want to play? Yeah. Hell yeah. Absolutely. Well, here, let me get Clarence's guitar. Whoa. (laughs) So he brings Clarence's guitar. Now, this is one of those hotel rooms that has a door on the inside. You know what I mean? Not just that leads outside, but can lead to the room next to it. Clarence and my father are talking in, I guess, what is Clarence's room. Roland and I are picking in Roland's room. Now, the door's open. You can hear. I couldn't hear the conversation, but they could hear us picking. So I'm playing, and we're playing, and first thing I noticed, this guitar plays itself. It was medium gauge strings, low action. It was butter. My guitar was dad's old 55 D18 uh, Mapes strings or black diamond strings and action like a dobro. (laughs) So, you know, which was fine. Either you want to play or you don't. Here's a guitar. You want to play it or not? Well, yeah, I want to play. So, you know, you play it. Not like now. Where people, oh, I have to have the perfect, most expensive capo. And, you know, what a bunch (laughs) of shit that is. But, so, yeah, Clarence's guitar played itself. So, we're playing. And I'm digging it. It's like, this guitar, I could do anything. You know, not really, but felt that way, you know. And so, I'm playing. And I'd just seen them at Indian Springs a week or two before. And they did this song, Dueling Banjos, right? And Roland and Clarence would trade, you know, and... One of them would take a solo, then the other one do that trading bit and do the other solo. And Clarence did this lick in C on the C chord. And I remembered it. It was a scale. You know, you don't have to be a genius to go do re me, right? So it came time for that, and I did that lick. Because I remembered it. And I I did, you know, I didn't practice it. I just remembered it and played it. And he comes out of his room over to me and Roland. And he's standing by the TV which was near the door that led to both rooms. He goes, where'd you hear that? I was like, oh, shit, I done pissed him off. Shit, I don't hardly even know him. I'm playing his guitar now. He's, oh, God, I'm like almost, you know, 11 and a half, three quarters, something like that. Here's this guitar god in my house. Well, I, well, uh, I heard you do it last week at Indian Springs. You did? Yeah. Yeah, I did. If I didn't sound that gruff, I was yeah, <laughs> I did. And uh, he took the back of his hand and knocked. There was a plastic water pitcher and plastic cups sitting on top of the TV. That's just where it was. He took the back of his hand and wham, knocked these cups and a pitcher off and walked back in his room. It's like, oh, good Lord. Shit, not only have I made him angry, I'm sure I'm going to hear about this from Dad. (laughs) So, but then everybody started laughing. It's like, oh, God, okay. So I kind of, you know, everything was cool. It was a joke, uh, except the joke was on me. (laughs) But, yeah, he was cool. He was really nice. He told Dad, said, uh, you need to get him one of those guitars. And Dad says, well, you know, I don't know. I don't have any money in this. This guy says, I'll give you guy's name, you know, and I'll buy it, and you can pay me back. Or or you don't even have to. I'll just buy it, and you can have it. Dad says, well, if you're going to do that, I'll just buy it myself. But if it means that much to you, you know. So I got one of those guitars. And they're pretty cool guitars. There were only a certain number made, maybe 80. It's made by a guy named Mark white book and he had stopped making guitars because of the 
some sort of wood dust, whatever wood he was using when he sanded it makes dust. It was getting in his lungs and it was ill effects, you know, and he was forced to stop. So he did, but I've heard he started making guitars again, maybe different wood. Where does he live? California, somewhere out there. But um, are those old ones collectible these days? Yeah, they're expensive. Mine's in a vault underground <laughs> in a secret location <laughs> in the middle of Utah. Clarence told me, no, told my father. Clarence told my father, who told me. Said Clarence said, uh, well, my dad said, man, your lead playing is really good. Your guitar playing is really good, and that lead's really cool. Clarence says, ah, the lead's all right. It's, I guess, it's okay. But I'd stack my rhythm up against anybody's. It's like, whoa, whoa, <laughs> you know? But, man, that's that's a big swinging pair right there, man. It's just like, golly. And, you know, who's to argue? <laughs> Clarence was playing in a band when he was a teenager. That Appalachian Swing record, which is still amazing, killer guitar playing, he did when he was a teenager. He was a teenager when they cut that. It's still the kick-ass record. Anybody ever talk about the bird stuff? I didn't learn about them till Dad bought all their records one day. <laughs> it's like, what is this? I don't like this. Clarence. Oh. <laughs> you know, that was it. You know, no need to say anymore. I heard Clarence got audited. The IRS says, here, Mr. White, last year you made $4,000. This year you made over $100,000. How do you explain that? I joined a rock band. Okay, thank you. See you later. <laughs> that amazing. Over a hundred grand then. Like a Brazilian dollars. <laughs> oh shit he's the best it's infectious you know when you hear him and you, you know when you listen to the record you zone into this or you zone into that or listen to the drums or listen to that bass line or just that melody or listen to how he played that you know you just, every now and then you'll zone in on one guy for me, you just zone in on Clarence. There's nowhere else. I mean, the others are good. You could focus on them, but why would you? <laughs> I mean, goddamn, there's Clarence White playing guitar. And it's so cool. You know, the among all the other things, as I get older, the coolest thing for me now is the way a syncopation is. Now, syncopation's cool, and it was always cool, and I always liked it, and I always endeavored to do that, and it's cool. But when other people do it, besides Clarence, it seems stiff. It's like, oh, gosh, here comes this thing I've practiced. Here it comes, here it comes, and they do it, and it seems like nine times out of ten, it's stiff or jilted somehow and doesn't labor. Clarence did it just seemed like breathing. It's just normal. That's how I do it. It's no big deal. That's how I hear it, and so I play it that way. And I'm sure he worked at it. Who doesn't? But as you know, the people who invent stuff like that, it's hard to beat them at their own game. <laughs> D. 
Dad got a phone call. I was in the tub taking a bath. And Dad got a phone call. He was on the phone a while. And it, that's somebody, you know, spreading the word. Don't know if you heard, but Clarence, you know, blah, blah, blah. And they gave him the, all the info. Dad comes in the bathroom. Well, well, what? <laughs> I'm taking a bath. Only been here a couple of minutes. It ain't like I've been here all day. What's going on? Well, just got a phone call. Okay. <laughs> well, Clarence is dead. What? Yep. I'll tell you more when you get out of the tub. All right. So then get out of the tub and found out and heard about it. It was all quiet around the house. You know that whole story? He's putting in, uh, loading up the car, the van or whatever they had. He and Roland, they just played a job in Palmdale, California, and looked in the rearview mirror, and there's an amplifier still out. So they get out, and they, they're loading that, and some drunk lady comes around the corner and hits them. Roland and Clarence flew, and Clarence flew the furthest, was hit the hardest. And they go to the hospital. Well, they're out, but they're taken to the hospital, and Roland wakes up. Where's my brother? Oh, he's over here. I think they gave Roland the option. says, you know, he'll never walk. He'll never, he'll always be on tubes, but we can keep him alive. I went to bed, you know, at bedtime, which might have been maybe 8, 30, 9 o'clock. I don't know. And uh, cried. It was weird. Cried all night till I fell asleep. And I'd only really known him that little bit. I saw him at Indian Springs. And I seen him in uh, Annapolis. I saw him in Philadelphia a little bit. But that's all I really knew. It was strange. It was a weird... I'm sure that's because Dad built him up to be like God. I don't think people realize when they're just putting a little bit of effort towards relating to a kid, how much it can mean to them for the rest of their life. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, amazing. He was cool to me. I never seen him uncool to anybody, but you know, I didn't hang with him very often either. But and Roland was always nice too. Most folks were always nice, willing to show you something. Well, man, I really appreciate you telling me stories. Sure, it's good to see you over here. Yeah, it's good to be here. I'd like to thank everybody for listening in, and I'd like to thank David for coming over here to my living room in East Nashville and sharing some stories. You can find out everything you need to know about David at davidgreer.com. If you'd like to help support this show, just go to otisgibbs.com and you can pick up a CD, a t-shirt, you can download any record I've ever made, you can buy one of my photographic prints, you can buy one of Amy's records, you can buy one of Amy's children's books. But anything that you buy, we'll mail from our living room to yours, and we'll even put in a little thank you note. If you'd like to help out but you're a little short on cash, just go to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. Leave a comment. Subscribe, and you'll get a brand new episode free as soon as it's available. But if you enjoy this show, 
or you enjoy my music, or you enjoy Amy's music, please take the time to tell a friend and help us spread the word. And if you'd like to send us a message, we'd love to hear from you. Just send it to info at otisgibbs.com. I'm Otis Gibbs. Thanks for giving a damn.